I think that we have a great product. I think we have great people. But I always think that we can improve. I, yes. I think that there's lots of things that we don't do well enough. And I'm always wanting to improve. And, you know, doing things like the Chris and, and what you're doing with the podcast that you've started, you've been in this a long time and you're innovating and you're doing things differently. And I'm challenging my team right now. It's like, yeah. why aren't we more online and being thought leaders in the LinkedIn community and, and this as, yeah. as do royalty? So, and if you think you're great, Chris, yeah. that's the day yeah. when you're not going to be great. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. I am just really super psyched. There was this group, a time at Western where we had just incredible, incredible operators who went on to have unbelievable investment careers. And I've got one of the amazing group of them. His name is Neil Johnson, and he is the founder and chief executive officer at Duke Royalty Limited. Duke is a royalty-based company uh, that is based out of uh, the UK and sets up uh, a tax-efficient structure to stream royalties to uh, their clients and over the last five years have done incredibly well uh, with his team. He started out really, really early on with Canaccord Capital, one of the uh, smaller banks at the time. And uh, he put up his hand, as he'll, he'll explain, and went to uh, the UK and had a 20-year run at Canaccord, which later became Canaccord Genuity, and as, was the managing director and head of investment banking in Europe, was the number one bank uh, or mid-market uh, small cap bank in Europe, and he was the leader of that. And uh, he talks about you know, the relationships he built. It talks about how that allowed him to form his next company. He talks about his, his real interest in really being an entrepreneur, in, in the excitement, the creativity, and how he found opportunities. At times, how the opportunities weren't working, he, how, how he was up against it in an enormous worldwide crisis. Really, really fantastic, fantastic podcast. I feel really, really... Uh, Excited to have Neil on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. I know you're going to enjoy it. And one neat thing is Neil's brother is Chris Reynolds. And so uh, they are excited to see whose reviews are highest or how many people listen. So, uh, so they've got a little bit of brotherly rivalry, uh, two amazing brothers uh, on our podcast. So I know you're going to enjoy both of them. So you know what I'm up to is I'm up to finding amazing young leaders to develop and grow. And uh, we need leadership like at no time ever with the worldwide struggles that we're facing, the challenges that we're facing as a, as a nation, the challenges that we're facing as a world. And uh, we've had quite a run at, at developing amazing leaders. 
So if you know anyone, please reach out to me at chris at leaderspodcast.ca. You can reach out to me as well uh, uh, you know, about any comments on the podcast. And you could send, send our podcast or this specific podcast about Neil Johnson to anybody who may be interested in learning more about becoming a fantastic leader. Thank you so much. And I know you're going to love the podcast. Have a super fantastic day. Neil, thank you so much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Super excited to have you. Great to be here, Chris. All right. Well, you know, to get started, um, actually, the one thing I wanted to comment, I was just looking at your LinkedIn, and I know you're a Ivy grad, you went to Western, and I saw who you're connected with, like, you know, Gautam Chawla, who just became vice chairman you know, of, uh, of Barclays and Joe McLean, who's been on our podcast. I was just telling you about Zach Kembar and all these mm-hmm. uh, just incredibly, incredible, successful people in the finance industry who literally worldwide have done so well. Like what happened there? And, and fortunately, a Garth Friesen, Guy Metcalf, who runs all of the, the yeah, real estate investment for Morgan Stanley, Dave Fear, who has run hedge funds for, for all his career. Like, what happened there? Do you have any explanation for all that incredible success? You know what? And there's only two streams of connections. Student painters and our fraternity. Ah. Okay? So I'm going to bet that it's the student painters that gave us the grounding to do better in business than the fraternity, <laughs> uh, the keg stands that we did in the fraternity house. <laughs> so... Were all of them also in your fraternity? Yeah, all those guys that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Not Zach Kembar, but uh, but yeah, Gautam, Gautam and uh, Joe and uh, Dave here, and yeah, and, and many more. James Millership and uh, James Millership, Gart. yes. So yeah, so I would say this: that you gravitate to people and your friends or who you want to hang out with, and so we like to hang out, um, and we all join the same fraternity, and there's some kind of founding fathers of that Delta Tau Delta fraternity. But it also, and so we're drawn to that. But yeah. we're also drawn to uh, like-minded people and saying, what are you doing for the summer? And then saying, I'm running my own business. And yeah. those people that heard that phrase, and I remember one, um, and it was Garth, Joe Kamen as well, uh, that was in my, we were all in first year university in Soggy Maitland Hall. Yeah of the zoo and there is another strain but it definitely wasn't the uh the boarding house that uh that made us uh good business people but i remember when they said yeah well, i'm going to run my own business this summer and that was something that i was drawn to um just like all those people you mentioned that's great and so what what do you still rely on from that experience uh b- back in the day with student works neil i think it's the ability I break it down into two things. One is the ability to relate to people and having the, you have to um, handle objections. You have to get along with your painters. You have to motivate your painters. You have to sell a paint job. If you are not doing it, there is no boss that is going to do it for you. And so the ability for uh, just the stress that you, Put yourself into that role that it is up to you and you have to deal with any problem that comes your way 
you know, we'll get probably onto what I'm doing now, but yeah, I draw a lot from the fact that I did this when I was 18 years old. I, I ran and I solved problems and never gave up. And I'm still bringing that to, to my life every day. Yeah, no. And, and the other thing is, well, there's no question. There's just a, a shared camaraderie. You found people who like you and me want to work hard and make a difference and contribute, right? Like, and have a lot of energy to go do that because you don't get the type of success the people we've mentioned uh, are, got without a bunch of hard work and real, real energy, you know? So that's something I see in common as well. That was my say, you stole my thunder. That was my second. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of not how you start. It's, it's how you finish. And you get up every day and you don't quit. And you've got, you know, when you're running your own business for four months, you have no days off. Like you, yeah. you got you to gotta get what you got to get. And, and it's to do your best because it comes from within. You want yeah. to continue to do hard. You got responsibility. And, uh, but you got to push yourself to, to never give up and, to, and to, to fight every day. And I was, you know, you were so kind to say that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this. And I, I did have two years as a manager and one year as a general manager. So three years with the company and, and, um, but, you know, I look at, I look at my stats. I was terrible. <laughs> my first year, I started the year as the bottom 2% of the company the first day of, of producing because I was in, I was going to school at Western, but my, yeah. my district was in Vancouver. So I had no preseason. Preseason, yeah. And so I, and I was, I was pretty crap at the beginning. I didn't know how to sell. I didn't know, I didn't know how to paint. Yeah. You know, it was a miracle that you hired me. Well, it is interesting. We, we wouldn't do it. Like we were still kind of just, it was so new. Uh, we, you know, we were early stages and it was amazing to try that. And you, it speaks to you to be able to make that successful uh, because now we're starting in January and every weekend people are working on it uh, mm -hmm. to really develop their skills. I ended up, every payroll was bigger for me that first year. Started very slow, but I never gave up. It was that hard work, as you said, you know, you just yeah. got to keep doing it. And I ended up with the top 25% of the company in, in terms of production at the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, so, so I would say, you know, to everyone that is thinking about doing this and thinking about their own business, you know, you, you have to persevere and work hard, but know that you're going to have to work hard Yeah, and know that you're going to have to deal with everything that comes your way. But as you said, you know, this has got to be the reason why all those people you mentioned at the top of the podcast have had the sense of, of uh, that they know that they can do it because they mm -hmm. survived a student painting summer uh, in their own business. And, and we have the self sense of self-confidence that, uh, that we can do it. And I do believe that outside of the fraternity, this is the reason why everyone's successful. That's awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for sharing about that. And, and so I know one of the neat things about having somebody like yourself on is, is that You've had a monstrous career and a lengthy career because we're older. Um, so <laughs> what I thought we would do is just jump right into sort of some meat, which is really, you know, you just had a, an, an incredible 
you know, almost two decades at Canaccord Genuity. And, and maybe you could just share, you know, what that experience was like with our leaders. And, and also maybe, yeah, why don't we do that? And I'll have some follow-up questions after. So what, what that experience was like in getting into Canaccord and what the, the things you learned, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, the, I think what I learned is that, you know, the only constant to life is change. Yeah. I was fortunate, you know, when you talk about Canaccord Genuity today, you know, they're in, they're in multiple continents. They're, uh, they're one of the best investment banks in Canada, the, the leader in, in uh, the independence so of non-bank owned investment bank in Canada and right across the, the globe. When I started, you know, I was the first technology analyst. They had never had a technology analyst when I started. Yeah. So that was how long ago it was. I'm I'm glad this isn't a video because you know you see how old I really am. <laughs> but you know, I started as a young analyst. I got into technology, and I went into investment banking, and then we expanded internationally. And I put my hand up to go over to London, England, and that also changed the trajectory of my career and my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent 10 years in London, met my wife in London. Gautam Chawla was over there with me in those early days, uh, reconnected with a, a bunch of people from, from Canada. Uh, my son was born in the UK. So the 10 years, and I went over as a 30-year-old, and I said, this could be a good, fun thing to do for you know three to five years. But again, we... You saw an opportunity. You you have to change. So I went and said, "I'm I'm going to do this," and grabbed hold with both hands and and uh, jumped in. We had to change our business model. I saw the planes go into the twin towers in New York on September 11th, and and uh, we had to adapt. Right. Uh, so, and then we we got actually a, a really good position in the capital markets there. Because we used our strengths. We used that we were from Canada. And what did Canada have? We had oil and gas companies and natural resource companies and whatnot. And it was the commodities boom. And we listed a number of Canadian companies over in London. So that's why I stayed 10 years. And some of the things that, that, uh, that I have done, it's uh, I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. But you create your own luck, don't you? Yes, you do. And, and there's a real willingness to go you know, stretch out. Like you, you, it wasn't necessarily going to win Canaccord's expansion to Europe, right? And and obviously you were successful in that. You became the managing director and head of banking over there. You know, I could see as well, you know, raised all sorts of money, you know, created a whole lot of value, you know, and I'm sure really worked hard to, to make all that happen. Well, we became the number one broker in there. You know, not Canadian. We're the only Canadian broker. So we were number one. Number here. one worldwide broker but we were the number one on, on the broker on the small small cap companies which is all we did we done yes. compete with morgan stanley but but you know the independence yes we had the largest market share and so i i do distinctly remember that there was a consultant that we hired from canada uh to to assess you know our uh do some do some work for us and i remember sitting i remember exactly where i was and he said well Every other Canadian investment bank has failed in London and going back for 20 years. So I basically, I don't give you guys a hope and help. So thank you very much. And I'm going back to Toronto. 
So, you know, but tell me that I can't do something and I'll, yeah. I'll prove to you that I can. <laughs> and uh, so that was early on and we, we ended up winning. So that was a good feeling. Good feeling. Yes. Yes. There's no question. So, you know, you continued there. What got you to move from Canaccord? What sort of shifted? Well, you know, the, the career trajectory in, in Canaccord was, uh, was altered with our, uh, with our acquisition of, of Genuity. I'm not a Toronto uh, guy. As, as I said, I went to Western, but I'm from Vancouver. And I had just moved back to Toronto. So ultimately, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. And, mm. and that's what I think I, I take from the, yeah, the, the student works experience is that I love building things. Right. And so with the, with the merger of Genuity and, and the expansion across the world, you know, I come back to kind of the, the mothership. Right. And, and I wasn't exercising that entrepreneurship. Even though I was in 10 years in, in London, we started with 20 people. We ended up with 150. Yeah. We started with with a five million in revenue, and it was 140 million pounds that we that we that we oh. we had at the um, at the end at the, at the peak. So I like building things, and it's just uh, you know I built what I wanted to build inside inside Canaccord. Um, listen, the, the the talent that they have right now, and and uh, that what they were going to. Um, was was really I was excited about about doing something else, and right. um, they've been successful. They're continuing to be successful. Yeah. Um, so it was uh, it's a big part of my life over there, and a lot of good friends. So, uh, but I started my own business. Yeah. No, and it's it, it's it's that's really great for you know sort of leaders to get to is is really understanding what you want to do. Right. Like, you know, it's it's not, you know, chasing the brass ring. Oh, I want to be this or that. You know, it's no what's actually like the, the, the reality is, is that's a really managing director investment banking at Canaccord. Holy jump. But that's a really huge title. Right. That gets you lots of, you know, uh, lots of looks. Um, or whatever, but you know, it's like, Hey, who cares? Right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's what's going to make me happy. What excites me, what interests me and really understanding that, that actually, what gets me up in the morning and, you know, gets me excited. So that next venture, why don't you talk about, talk about that, the difference capital financial. Sure. It's a derivative of what I'm doing right now, which is an investment company. So okay. instead of uh, you know, I, I kind of have done one thing in my life is do deals. Yeah. One it's, it, uh, I did them as a, as a broker as, as brokering, you know, the investment banking, uh, model and, uh, but what difference capital offered and what I'm doing now is, is basically a principal investor. So we raised money and invested in at that time, Canadian technology and related companies. I was the global head of technology at Canaccord Genuity. And so and I, I was, a, uh, as I said, old technology analyst back in the day. So I was excited to, to create my, to, to join three founding partners as one of the four founding partners of, of Difference Capital, right. raise money, and, uh, and then invest in different um, uh, technology and related industries. 
Okay. So that's, so that's, that was that, that first, first venture. And then yeah. is, did Duke come out of seeing another opportunity that wasn't being taken advantage of? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different style of, of uh, investment. So right. it's called royalty investing, mining and oil and gas have been doing royalty investing as uh, 1980s and, uh, and then pharmaceutical royalties, uh, drug royalties started in the 1990s and by the time we were setting up difference capital there was these corporate royalties so basically what you're doing is you're, is you're investing in a company not for equity but for a cash flow and and a part of the kind of the upside or right. decline in the businesses so you get a percentage right. of revenue it's revenue link uh, I'm not a mining and oil and gas banker, never was. Um, but what I saw was this tremendous opportunity to take that model that had been that is expanded upon and, and perfected in Canada, um, and all those companies that have been in Canada and back in London, there were no royalties, no corporate royalties. And in 2014, 15, when I snuffed out the opportunity. There was negative interest rates in the in the European Central Bank. Everyone was chasing yield and there was no competition. The 10 years that I spent, as you said, Chris, which you I was afforded a, a, a great platform and and network of oh. investment bankers, investors, institutions, some of the biggest institutions in the world that I interacted with as head of investment bank for Canaccord. Five years later, I kind of came back to them and said, what do you think about this? Yeah. And it was just too good of an opportunity to not pursue, even though it was, you know, a, a green field in terms of education. Uh, yes. Everyone in, in Europe. And highly risky given that. Because the fact that no one's there doing it doesn't mean that it's it's a winner. It's It's you've got to go create the winning conditions, right? And sell people into this, this concept. So as an investor, Neil, why is someone more likely or just with some of their money interested in, in creating a, a royalty-based way of investing versus an equity-based way of investing? Uh, right now, it's because you can, uh, what we promise is a, a current uh, yield, so a dividend. So you're getting a cash dividend. And so when the interest rates are the way they are, it's very hard for public investors to get a consistent and very visible yield other than the, the very large companies. And what the UK is the biggest capital pool outside of New York in the world. Right. But they also have this vibrant small cap market, whereas the US. And after Sarbanes-Oxley and, and, and the 2000, um, they've generally gone away from any small public markets. There's a great venture capital, right? private equity. Um, but in London, it's a little bit more like Canadian in where um, the, the markets, there's a smaller market called AIM, just like there's a venture market in Canada. And But yet the capital market pool has the biggest investors in the world and the deepest pockets and it's multiple times the size of Canada. And I yes. just thought, here's all my network in the biggest capital pool with zero competition. And everyone in Canada is doing different derivatives of royalties 
fishing in the same kind of small pond. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, saw the opportunity and just like an entrepreneur, you know, kind of dismissed all the risks and jumped in with two feet back again <laughs> <laughs> and, and never gave up. <laughs> with lots of, lots of struggle, I'm sure. So just in terms of, you know, one of the fascinating things, I know you live in, in North Toronto, right? We were, we were talking before the podcast, close to where I grew up and mm-hmm. uh, you're running a business out of London. How is that possible? You know, like I, I imagine this business, it has, you know, given the size of it has, has you know, staff and an offices. And how do you, how do you do that, Neil? <laughs> We're in the middle of the uh, coronavirus, Chris, right now. Right. Speaking. We're in lockdown. <laughs> very, very difficultly. <laughs> so I think the answer to that is it's not up to one person. No company is about one person. You right. have to create a team. And one of the lessons that I, I really value right now, which I didn't fully appreciate with my 20 years at, at Canaccord, is when you trust your partners, how important that is. Right. Is to pick your team and have that trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've been very fortunate in, in Duke Royalty to have uh, an amazing partner. Uh, based in London, Charlie Brooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have our chief investment officer, uh, who's really a pioneer in this this whole industry, uh, Jim Webster. And Jim Jim started the first ever drug royalty company, and it's a public company in 1993 when he when he started it. And he actually got the internet site drugroyalty.com because right. it did not exist. When he set it up, right, and he probably didn't have a website until the late nineties. So uh, <laughs> uh, his his company was Drug Royalty Corp. It was the only drug royalty corp out there. So it's great to have him in our senior team. Great to have Charlie. Um, we're all different. I think that's the other thing about a team is that you have to have different strengths, right? And so, but you got to trust. You got to have that trust. So. We have employees in Toronto uh, with me here in our office in Toronto, and we have an office in, in London. And it we do a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of calls like this, a lot of Teams <laughs> calls. Technology is is our friend, um, and I'm a super elite at Air Canada. Right. <laughs> exactly. Flying back and forth a lot. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So. You know, and again, I know you may be able to share. What can you share about the success over the last five years? Well, um, I think I, 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 I alluded to it, but one of the the only reason why we're here, Chris, is um, we started this in 2015, but we didn't get going in institutionally raising capital uh, for for a year, and. 2016 was the year in the UK of the Brexit vote. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) So I literally was going to go raise money right after the Brexit vote because no one thought this was going to happen. And so a huge setback. We had a broker that is, I'm not going to name, but but we had one one company that was going to raise us money. And after the Brexit vote said, geez, this is not good. Um, I think you guys should kind of not go public, you know, like 
don't, yeah. don't raise any capital. It's like, again, you know, when you tell me something that, you know, is a challenge <laughs> to me, but what I had to do is I had to rely on people that knew me and again, knew my reputation, knew my background and trusted me. Right. And I trusted them. And I leaned on my relationships with Angelo Sapoclius at uh, Cantor Fitzgerald. He's the CEO of Cantor Fitzgerald Europe at the time. Uh, my old friends that worked with me um, in um, at Canaccord and went on to Mirabeau Securities, Jason Wallards and, and Alan Howard. These guys uh, helped me and raised money for me, not because of Duke Riley. We didn't have any investments, Chris. It was a, right. it was a startup. It was right after Brexit vote. And we had to rely on each other and trust right. each other and never give up. And uh, we we got half of what we wanted to get in right. our first race. And it was hard. You know, we on a two-week roadshow, Chris, I had an apartment in London for 10 weeks. Wow. <laughs> there was no two-week roadshow. No two-week roadshow. It, it was a grind. Month, it was two and a half months. Right. And uh, you know, at one point we were we were hoping to get BlackRock as a shareholder. And I remember I went home for the weekend, and they we gave them kind of till Friday afternoon to uh, to make their decision. Um, I had flown home on Friday for the weekend, Friday, and um, when I got off the plane in Toronto, turned my phone on, BlackRock is out, and I went to my wife. I came home and. Uh, and I said, I think that, you know, is the end of this fundraising. I don't think that was our last kind of greatest hope. And right. um, credit my brokers, uh, we got, uh, you know, because like, they were going to come in for like five million, right? Yes, um, exactly. But we got one half a million pound order and then another half a million pound order. And my chairman, Nigel Burrell, kind of said, hey, I, I know this rich guy in Gibraltar, he's in for half a million. Uh, just, you know how things just happen? Yeah. If you just continue to push and never give up and, and, and whatnot. And I'll, uh, I'll never forget that I thought, I thought I had no hope of winning. And, uh, and right at that time, I was 2017. So if you're a football fan, you'll know that there was another team that almost had no hope of winning. And that was the, the New England Patriots. Yes. And they were yes, down they 28 were. to three. And I am a, a diehard Colts fan. So I was hoping that the Patriots would lose. <laughs> and that Tom Brady never gave up. And he rallied his team and he willed them to win. And they had like a 99.4% chance of losing. Um, That's what you felt you had. But that's, what, that's, yeah, that's, that's what you felt, like, yeah. And, <laughs> yes, the end didn't have the odds on me, but I, I <laughs> felt like felt like Tom Brady sitting on the on the bench, going, oh, "We're down twenty eight to three. There's no hope in hell." But uh, not that I'm comparing myself to Tom Brady. No, but, no, 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 no. But I did respect him after that. Yeah, I respect him. I still don't like the Patriots, but I respect Tom Brady uh, for, <laughs> for, for for never giving up. And that's the attitude you got to have. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to, because sometimes people misunderstand it, and you mentioned, oh, these friends who helped you. And I know they're your friends. 
And I also know that they helped you not because they're your friends. You know, it's like we, you know, like we'll take, we'll take a friend out for lunch, but no, you know, they're, they're helping you. And again, yes, they like working with you, but you've made the money before they have trust in you, right? Like, could you speak to that? Like, that's, that's something that, I, again, I want, it's not like, oh, Neil's really connected and that's why he was able to raise this money. No, people ultimately had confidence that you could return them their money, their hard-earned money with good returns. Mm-hmm. I put it this way, Chris, and I think, you know, I have a 13-year-old son and, and, and everyone looks at the success of people like Tom Brady, how he won Super Bowls. You know what? It's it's not when you're on the field that matters. It's it's the years of preparation and, yeah. and the years of of throwing the ball to your receivers and that trust that that uh, that you have off the field and off the spotlight. And uh, so, yeah, I had to lean on personal relationships and and say, I will make this happen if you if you trust me. But it's because we worked together for 10 years and they saw yeah. me in action and I saw them in action. And we have that bond that only comes through working things through together Yeah, is really important. So they were able to put their own reputations on the line because they knew that I was, uh, that I was trustworthy of that. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. That's uh, so powerful. You know, again, those relationships, those connections, those, you know, again, people we trust, you know, that make all the difference. So, you know, one of the other things that popped up for me as you were telling me your story um, is how outside events, you know, Brexit, you know, the, the, the Twin Towers, uh, you know, coming in, you know, the, 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 the coronavirus are going to impact these young leaders' careers like they've impacted us over the last number of decades. How do you look at that? How do you, how would you share it? What, what, what do you, what would you coach a young leader listening and hearing, okay, these powerful outside of our forces impacts? It's your mindset. So you can't control what happens to you, Chris, but you can control the response to what happens to you. Right. So Brexit happened. We had, hadn't raised any money. I could have said, my broker said, that I'm not going to be able to raise any money. So I'm just going to get a job, you know, at the Starbucks down the street. Um, (laughs) That could have been a response. It could have been. Yeah. No one could have predicted Brexit. Yeah. It happened. Now, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Um, And we looked internally and I, again, my, my team, we said, we're going to drive on. Yeah. And and we're going to talk to other people. Um, And my board was behind me. The team was behind me. I have a great investment committee as well. And the opportunity was too big to have a set setback. So I think you also, you know, the, the ultimate here is, are you an optimistic person or are you a pessimistic person? Right. You know, I, I'm an optimist. I see the glass half full. I see the opportunity. And you got to be able to solve problems. I go back to what my... What one of the big takeaways for me as student painters is, is you had objections, whether it was in that estimate, you know, yeah. you're going to have to handle objections. And when you do a paint job, your painters are going to screw up. Yeah, <laughs> there's, exactly. there's, there's going to be problems. Gonna be some spilled paint. There's something there's going to be problems. You have to 
handle the problems and solve problems. And if you have a pessimistic attitude and or you control your response to those problems as, oh no, another problem? Like, oh, why isn't there life without problems? Yeah. You know, it's like, no, that's life. There's problems. How do you handle it? How do you handle those objections? How do you get the client to sign the sign the bottom of that estimate form? And how do you make a an upset customer into a happy customer? It's your response to that paint spill to, you know, I got tons of different stories. That's another Yeah, tangent. exactly. No. You know, but but we're all gonna have them in life, whether it's yeah. student painters and, and and in real career. But that's the training ground. And that's that's something that, you know, is is I bet you when you talk to those other people that you said that, that were in uh, my friends, you know, we'd all say the same thing. And so if you look at Duke, what are the key things that you guys do really well to make investing with Duke so great? Like what, what, what's, what's really the secret sauce? Chris, you know, I, I don't think we're that great. Okay. <laughs> I am much more of a, of a guy who's, I'm going to outwork you. Right. I think that we have a great product. Right. I think we have great people. But I always think that we can improve. I I think that there's lots of things that we don't do well enough. And I'm always wanting to improve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, doing things like Chris and and what you're doing with with the podcast that you've started. You've been in this a long time and you're innovating and you're doing things differently. And I'm challenging my team right now. It's like, why aren't we more online and being thought leaders in the LinkedIn community and and this as as Duke Royalty. So, and if you think you're great, Chris, that's the day when you're not going to be great. You're falling off. Yeah, yeah. Like you're parking on Success Avenue. No, for sure. It is so much more fun playing. How can we keep getting better? How can we keep getting better? It's it's never enough. And it's not the money's never enough. It's it's we can always keep getting better, delivering more value to our customers. You know, just getting better and better. It's exciting to to be in that space, right? So yeah, no, that's no, I love I love that. And and uh and just finding ways to to just, hey, we're not we're not good there. Thought leadership. Okay, that's great. That's something. So yeah. When, as you went from like, you know, thinking back, you know, number of decades now, and it's, don't worry, it's the same thing for me. So don't worry, my friend, um, <laughs> you know, university student to, okay. to now, you know, full-time value creator, CEO, et cetera. What did you need to change about yourself, Neil? I think uh, what I've been able to, to hone is my uh, focus and determination. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I, and I, and I look back and I, I, uh, I was worried that you were going to ask me this, so I had to refresh my memory on <laughs> <in> something, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think I was a leader, like I was a prefect and, uh, you know, on the captain of the sports team or whatever, but, but student banners really taught me was, uh, that the sense of responsibility, I think I said it earlier on, it's like, uh, you have stress. You put yourself under stress. Yeah. You put yourself in a in a situation where you don't have a plan. You don't have a, a safety net. Because when right. you have a safety net, you know what? You use it. Yeah. When you're an entrepreneur, you have no safety net. If you don't have a boss who's going to bail you out, you got you to gotta figure it out yourself. Right. And that is 
you know, that's what real life is all about and entrepreneurship and running your own business. And that's where, you know, as a, as a high school student, you know, your teachers are there, you got tutors if you want, you know, it's not that big of a deal if you fail a course because you can make it up or, uh, yeah. or, you know, do something, but it prepares you for real life. Yeah. So what key habits do you have? Like, what's the secret to your success? I think the success I've had is if you, if you encapsulate kind of what we've been talking about, Chris, it's a combination. I am not the most gifted person in anything. Um, there's right. people smarter than me. There's people more successful than me. There's people that, that can do it. But I don't think anyone outworks me. And uh, so I will. Um, and also, you need to innovate and continue to push yourself forward and never think that you're that great, right? Yeah. You, you don't yeah. think that I this is a great firm and I'm just going to sit back on my laurels. Yeah. So I've been innovating. I, you know, I started Duke Royalty where there's no corporate royalty companies in the entire continent. You know, I had to educate people, but I, and I never gave up telling that story and, and kept pushing ahead. I mean, there is a time when, you know, don't be stupid. Yes. You know, if everyone, if everyone says you're not getting any, anywhere, don't bankrupt yourself to, to pursue yes. something that is, that is obviously not going to happen. What I'm saying is you talk to someone and, and if there's positive momentum, you go forward where that positive momentum is and that door is open. You push on that door and you open that door and you think that you're going to continue. I mean, Duke royalty was supposed to be an internet gaming royalty company because that was the kind of the flavor of the day back then and whatnot. And there's the cash flow companies, but no one wants to invest in internet gaming. And there was an incongruence to the investors, to the, to that model. So we switched the model to fit the investors. So I had a good idea, but it actually wasn't the right idea. There was a kernel of a good idea, but I had to adapt. And I kept going and one door opened and one door closed. I had to I'd switch gears, yeah. had to focus uh, differently. And that, that I think has, has led me to where I am. I, you know, I, I look back, you know, what's more important to me than, than success is, is doing what I love to do. Right. And, and money is a byproduct of, of success. Money is a byproduct of, of doing what you're passionate about. And looking back, you know, I didn't want just a kind of a job at a, at a big investment bank. There's nothing right. wrong with that. There's right. great, great lifestyle. And those people who want to do that can then afford to take that and do things that they're passionate about. And as horses for horses. But I, I wanted to build something. That's why I, that's why I left. I can't accord genuity. I had an opportunity to start something. And that's, uh, that's kind of what's led me to, uh, to where I am now. That's awesome. And, and, and I know it's really great, again, for leaders to sort of get the idea that, you know, again, it's, it's you know, by outside judgments, you know, Neil, you've been tremendously successful, right? And for you, it's not enough and you're still re- looking to recreate yourself and you're still looking to push on. And that, that um, I think a lot of times people see you know, a young person will see, oh, they've got it made. Oh, they're set up and all these sorts of things. And that's not actually how people who have achieved your success 
think about their lives. You know, oh no, you know, there's there's so much more to do and to contribute. And and again, because you're following your passion, you're loving it, you're enjoying it, or you wouldn't work so hard, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, I really appreciate your authenticity and and sharing just just um, you know, there's there's a vulnerability that you have you know, that's really compelling and really great for our, for our leaders, you know, and, and, and getting it, you know, cause again, I think a lot of times people, oh yeah, I want to be a CEO. Well, it's, you know, that's, you know, it, there, there's a lot to that. Mm-hmm. But you know what, a, a great leader, I say this and I've, and I've trained and, and, uh, and led a lot of people. Um, I had 32 direct reports when I was at Canaccord in London and, um, you know, I, I, I've had a lot of employees <laughs> going back to when I was 18. I was interviewing, yeah. I was interviewing painters, you know, in pubs when they were old enough to drink and I was actually underage. So, you know, but I was interviewing them. So, so I've always been in this situation. I always tell people like, be yourself because, you know, you, you might have this vision of, you know, what it's going to be like as a CEO and act like, make it till you, you fake it till you make it. I don't even know because right. I don't do it, but. But, you know, it's like, oh, you got to act like a CEO. And that means like, you know, bossing people around and telling them what to do and right. you know, being all serious and being an asshole and whatnot. Can I say that on this podcast? You no. just did and it's good. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're happy to have you here, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if you're not an asshole, don't become an asshole just yes. because you want to be a CEO. You know, it, yeah. and, and people... You know, was I, this is the way I, I am and this is what the type of leaders that I'm drawn to is, is you want to, you want to empower you, the people that you're, that you're with and that are, that are kind of under you. Right. And I want them to be great. I want to surround myself with, with better people and, and prop them up rather than think that, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that everyone has to say yes to me and everyone's going to do what I say and whatnot i don't think that's that's the willing formula and so i would say to all the young leaders be yourself yeah and enroll people in just as you said be authentic and people will will follow you yeah no that's great so last question neil when you think of a leader of tomorrow what comes to mind well the leader of, if if you're asking me what you would need to be to be a leader of tomorrow, you know, you have to be creative. You have to, because uh, the world is changing very, very rapidly. Um, we've seen this with how good companies pivot through uh, this global pandemic. You have to be adaptable. You have to be creative. And I would, I would say that have to expect that. And therefore, you know, you can't have a problem and and give up and say there's no solution you have to find solutions to anything that comes in your way and if you're passionate about it and you have that attitude and you're an optimistic person and you're an optimist and you can sit on the bench from 28 to 3 in the third quarter and say we got a shot here boys we're going to win this game never give up awesome yeah from a Colts fan, not liking the Patriots, there, there it is, you know, just recognizing uh, the winner, right? Recognizing that attitude, right? And that, yeah, yeah. just, uh, there's, there's just something to that, right? I acknowledge him as well, not a fan of the Patriots, but I acknowledge just 
you know, that commitment, that focus, that energy, you know, it's, it's inspiring. So Peyton Manning did beat Tom Brady in more playoff games. And the one, the one that I saw them head to head, Peyton Manning was the one who came back in 17 points down in the fourth quarter in November, 2009 to beat them by one point with eight seconds to go. So Peyton Manning, you're still my, my he's, he's the man. Well, uh, one of my sons, huge Colts fan. So it's Colts and Cowboys in our household. So, okay. uh, so yeah, no pa- Patriots. No, no, no. So I totally, <laughs> totally hear you. That's why I love you so much, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Neil, thanks so much for joining us on the Leaders Tomorrow podcast. We really appreciate your time and uh, and and your contribution. Okay, thank you very much, Chris, for having me. Okay, take care. Have a fantastic day. Hey, leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.